All right, here we are with another episode of the High Ground, powered by Premier Companies. Sal, how's it going today? Doing wonderful today, Ryan. Still a glorious day at Premier Companies, right? Every day's a holiday and every meal's a feast. <laughs> I'm going to make you say it every time. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I'm going to make you say it every time now. That's going to be four, your tag. Four o'clock comes early. New <laughs> going. <laughs> new, new t-shirts with that on it. So. I like it. I do too. Sounds good. Hey, we've got a guest in the house with us today, Don Stitker. How are you this morning? I'm great, thanks. We're we're continuing our farm legacy series with this interview and uh so first and foremost we'll get the important stuff out of the way with <laughs> okay. the question of the day so, all right all right so your question of the day is what if what is a food that everyone else seems to like but you can't stand well i gotta ask a question to see if my answer will be valid okay, okay. is ketchup a food yeah yeah then i do not like ketchup <laughs> really <laughs> really that's interesting and I'll do the follow-up. I mean, you like tomatoes. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Okay, so we could connect those. Yeah, but I do like salsa. I do like chili. I mean, Meatloaf? As long as it's Doesn't Susie uses it. As long as it's hamburger. <laughs> as long as Susie puts barbecue sauce in it, we're oh, fine. Oh, yeah. All I've right. never tried meatloaf with barbecue sauce. It'd be oh, really good, I'm guessing. I think it would be. It is good. That's good. Well, that's interesting. I didn't see that one coming. I did not either. No. Nope. So what's yours, Sal? So wait, I got to go back to the ketchup. Okay. So French fries are just straight nope. up. Oh, no. I mean, even the grandkids try to put the minute little bit of ketchup on a French fry just so that I'll taste it. And and then they get the biggest kick whenever I find it. So. <laughs> Is there, was there something that happened? No. I mean, usually as a kid that no. maybe. Okay. I just never liked the taste of it. Well, my daughter showed me last week over Thanksgiving where they've come out with clear ketchup now, so they may slip one by you. <laughs> <laughs> they could. I, I heard where Heinz is coming out with a pickle-flavored ketchup. Huh. Uh, Next, there'll be mustard-flavored ketchup or something. Right. Well, that'd be the only way he'd eat it. <laughs> they're going to sell any. That's, they're going to sell any. Time. Well, watch your Sal. Well, I don't know if this is something that everyone else likes, but several people seem to. And boiled cabbage. I wouldn't like that either. Oh, my gosh. Um, it just makes me nauseous. And I'll eat uh, egg rolls. I like coleslaw. Um but uh, when I was a kid, mom would, I think she would get mad at me. She would boil cabbage on the <laughs> stove and it would drive me out of the house. And, uh, but just the smell of boiled cabbage, I can't even wow. be in the building. And I can't imagine that that side of the line, there's a lot of people on it, but that love it. But I, I mean, can't either. No, I'd say you'd be in a majority. It there. appears to be sure. a popular item at some of our branches because yeah. they do like. Oh, is that right? They do. They like boiled. I don't know why. I like it baked. Maybe I'll put ketchup I do on like it. <laughs> Maybe it's to keep you out of their office. There you go. Oh, that's it? There it's like mothballs for... <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> yeah. For well, sure. <laughs> well, mine is... Uh, and I don't know that everybody likes it, but they seem to show up in a lot. But peas, I just don't like yeah. peas. Really? I just don't. And when I was a kid, I used to like split pea soup. And then I kind of figured out that it was just a good way to ruin bacon and ham. <laughs> and I thought I could just eat the bacon and the ham. So, yeah, peas can show up in places. just like, I don't know why we did that. I don't know why we did that. Like I mean, you slide soup? them through. Yeah. yeah. See? I don't. You, I don't, can, you no. just leave them? Eat them? Or oh, up. yeah, I'll eat them. But I wouldn't. Like, if I make it, you won't catch them in there. Yeah. So. My fallback was going to be Brussels sprouts. Okay. Yeah, that's just like cabbage. Yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah. with you there, too. Yeah, you can't put enough seasoning on a Brussels sprout to make it taste good. 
I don't know. I kind of like them, but, <laughs> See, but that's, yeah, there's a lot of, ba- <laughs> you can put a lot of bacon and stuff on. They do hold a lot of, a lot of stuff to cover them up. But, you know, ultimately I heard a comedian one time say, isn't it sad that the worst, that the best compliment you can give a fish is that it's not very fishy. <laughs> he goes, How awful do you have to be when the best compliment you can be paid is, well, you're not like yourself. <laughs> That's good. really good. Doesn't have that fishy taste. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. The best thing you can do is not taste like what you're supposed to taste like. So yeah, there there might be several foods in that category. So hey, we've taken way too long on that. So <laughs> we'll get back to we'll get back to the Farm Legacy series here. So thank you for joining us first and foremost. And uh we'll start with uh what year did your farm start and who started it? Well, um, I really don't know when the first year was. We still own a piece of property that my great-grandfather bought wow. and, and farm it. So, um, That on the highway? right? No, it's um, up by White's Chapel Church. Okay. Uh, up in that area of the county, almost to Bartholomew County. And um, I guess, you know, he farmed it. And then when he passed away, his son, my grandfather, did not farm it. And we bought it probably close to 35, 40 years ago. And um, so, yeah, that's still in. And it was always in the family, just we didn't farm it until Hmm. sometime in the 90, 91, 92. And then my grandpa, when he was married he bought a farm and he farmed that and then i still farm that piece of ground well when did uh so tell us about whenever so when you started when i started i i guess my first crop would have been when i graduated in 1977 really okay so, all right that doesn't seem like that long ago does it no no we had our 45th class reunion last year so leaning on 50 now <laughs> oh, this would have been my 30th class reunion this year. Oh, so. God. One of these days, I'll be as old as Ron Seibert. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if he listens. He probably doesn't I don't know, know how to get... To send him, yes. a, send him uh, an invite. Send to him a text. One. I'll have to text it yeah. to him because yeah. he won't do an email. Yeah. <laughs> so, so one of the reasons that you're here is you're a big proponent of the cooperative business model. Yes. You are a huge proponent of the cooperative yes. business model. So first, let's ask you, how long have you been a member of Premier or one of its associated co-ops? I guess since uh, I would have started an account here in whatever, 1977. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you for that. Um, so what, as far as products that, that you get from Premier, you run the whole gamut, I mean, fuel and all of that. Yes. So, yes, I do. And that fuel supplied by a cooperative. So why is a cooperative that important to you? Well, one of the things that came to mind, uh, I heard just in an off conversation, I didn't join in with it, but, um, with one of the natural, um, disasters that we had. I don't remember if it was Katrina or one of those hurricanes that shut down a lot of the refineries. We knew that we would have a supply of fuel for that fall because of Country Mark. So that was, you know, and they were going to take care of their customers first before. So having that reassurance through a co-op supply chain is very, very comforting. Sure. You think of uh, energy independence, and I think uh, I think Ryan's on that board, right? Yep. You think of energy independence, and um, 
that is our that comes right out of the Illinois basin, correct? Yep. And um, I'd forgot about that. I think it was Katrina, and there was a is either that or um, Ivan, maybe. Anyway, yeah, lose but, track of the names, you know, but it was, and that was right at harvest starting of harvest, and it was like you're going to have fuel. So, yeah, I think they've done that several times where they've they've taken an inward focus and saying we're gonna we're gonna hold that here, and even if they have work to do on the refinery or it may reduce some of their production. I mean, they still, uh, they still kind of hole up and say, Hey, these outside sales, we're going to make sure our members are taken care of. And that's, in, that's important with a, with a cooperative. So yes, I've been fortunate to be involved with that organization since 2017. So it's remarkable board member. It's remarkable how many, um, as far as premier energy, which we call that, that division now, how many, uh, municipalities and, and, uh, ambulances and, and people depend on us for, uh, a reliable supplier. So, um, uh, Donald, other family members, who else is involved in the farming operation? Um, mostly it's just me. Um, Luke is through the LLCs is a minority owner, which I stress to him quite often that he is minority. <laughs> Does he listen? Um, yeah, well, we can bring him in if he'd like. <laughs> I think he's upstairs. <laughs> yeah, he's here. <laughs> um, so, and and his wife Caitlin and um, my daughter Emily and my wife Susie were all owners of of the two LLCs that we have. I've got to bring up a story. Okay, and um, and this is uh, one that uh, Luke told me and. Luke, it was a spring. That's probably four or five years ago. We had a wet spring, and and uh, some some folks were getting started, and and um, you know, Luke would go to his dad to say, "Donald, dad, when are, don't you think we ought to be starting here pretty soon?" And Donald be like, "No, it's not ready yet. Not ready yet. It's too wet." And Luke would come back in a few days. Don't don't you think we ought to get it out, get it going? And after about two or three of those uh, instances. Luke tells me the story of Donald. He said, dad looked at me and said, I can't wait till this is all yours and you get to mess it up the first time. <laughs> yep. I remember that. Uh, yeah. That's uh, that's, you know, and, and that we always want to rush. I always want to rush too. I, I remember, uh, I remember pulling spreader trucks out and everything else when I thought we should be going <laughs> find out later that we probably shouldn't have been going. So, yep. so Yeah. So what's uh what is the largest obstacle uh, that you see in agriculture right now from your standpoint? You've clearly you told us you've been at it for a while. Farming is important, and um, what what do you see as an obstacle in agriculture? Not necessarily um, for you, but for everyone. For everyone, um, land use. How do you um, work with green energy and not take valuable farmland out of production? How do you put in solar farms, wind farms, and still be have enough acreage left to feed the world? I see that coming on the horizon. So I did this summer a um, U.S.-German ag forum where we talked about sustainability, and with there was eight German farmers and eight American farmers, and we um, met from... February through September and actually wrote a paper at the end of it and we spent five days out at the University of Illinois and that 
that's prime farm ground. But they had 60 acres taken out of production for solar. And they're trying to do crops they can raise in the solar field too. So, I mean, they're working on it. They understand that that is, does take valuable farmland out of production to do those things. So I, for our listeners, just a little more explanation, just so the um, listeners can kind of picture this. And 60 acres doesn't sound like much, but um, south of Indianapolis and just in some other parts, I don't need to necessarily get too geographic specific, um, but these solar fields or panels, when they go in into a field in prime farm ground, uh, that ground can never be farmed again. No. And we may say, like, maybe there's other ag uses, but unless you're going to graze sheep or something around it which is not really practical in illinois uh, that wouldn't be a place where there's a market for for something like that um but once that ground is out of production and disturbed with um, burying trenches and concrete and other things it, it's gone forever mm-hmm. and um that is a challenge i never thought about the one of the biggest challenges just being the there was a company in our neighborhood a couple of years ago looking to put together a thousand continuous acres for a solar farm. And I'm reasonably sure they didn't get it. They got some people to agree, but I don't think it's going any farther than that. They wave enough dollars. It, it is, I mean, it has to cause people pause to say, oh, yeah. wow. And that's... these were some pretty big dollars they were waving out there, which makes me think right away, you know, they're probably not going to get this done. Seems but, desperate yeah. a little bit. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think Brian Brian Fisher, a former uh, guest on uh, on the podcast and a and a farm legacy uh, series uh, contributor, he he stated in a uh, we sat on the board of directors for the Agribusiness Council of Indiana, and he brought up that that land that those solar fields go on prime farm ground is classified as vacant on the maps that those <laughs> folks look at, and when you think about that, you think vacant. I mean, you, you think almost non-usable or somebody has done something with it and then moved off from it. I mean, it may be growing 250 bushel corn on it, right. but it's still classified as vacant ground. And, and he, he was asking that we make the push to say that needs to be changed. That classification absolutely mm-hmm. needs to be changed because that's not vacant ground. I mean, that, that is clearly feeding the world and we need to be cognizant of that, mm-hmm. that. So I'm glad you brought up land uses cause it's a, it's a yeah. big one. When you see those huge warehouses and, Solar yeah. fields and just like yeah, those folks ought to get together. <laughs> Shouldn't they? Doesn't that just seem like the most easiest answer yeah, to put the panels? Nine hundred seventy-five thousand square foot building. God, put it on the roof. Well, yeah, see idea. what that looks like. Never thought of that. <laughs> but uh, well, we now I guess we're you talked about green energy and uh, a lot of um, a lot of folks that aren't uh, familiar with agriculture. If you think back to nineteen seventy-seven. Can you tell us about some of the more uh, sustainable practices that you've started using, um, the, what you've done that would be different than some of the farming practices in, in uh, the, back in the 70s? Well, Dad was an early implementer of no-till. So I remember we rented an old Alice Chalmers planter and planned our first no-till probably, let's say probably 77 or that 78. Is yeah. And we dabbled around a little bit with cover crops to um, 
plant and and plant corn in then in the spring and then terminate the crop and not much success there on on that so but dad did continue no-tilling and I've I still have probably 50% of the ground is no-till and 50% is vertical tillage so and and so for the listeners I think we've covered this on some other podcasts but maybe they didn't listen to those but uh, no-till is where you just don't disturb the soil right I mean you've got the previous crop Mm -hmm. the fodder is still there from the previous crop and you plant right into uh, right into the seed bed and uh, the planter just doesn't disturb very much of the ground at all. Right. Keeps the wind erosion, rain erosion, mm-hmm. really protects the soil resource. So are that early 50 years ago ish, 45 years ago, what, what was his motivation for being a no tiller at that point in time when plowing was so popular? Um, I, um, conservation was definitely where we did our first no-tilling was on highly erodible soils. Okay. So he was... Did he turn a piece of ground into farm ground or was it farm ground you were... It was, it was farm ground we were using. And you and, were... And, and... You could thought, we can do better. Yeah. Was that from a, a slope or was that sand or... Slope. Slope. Very mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the things in, uh, of course, from Washington County, Indiana, we have a lot of hills and that's, uh, I think, very early back in the 80s. In early 90s, when no-till started, that was a really a big consideration. I mean, I can't remember. that. I can't believe they used to mow board plow those oh, I, yeah. hillsides. We did, too. And, yeah, every year. Probably, I'd say we mow boarded until probably mid-80s. So. Okay. Well, uh, let's jump back to the to, uh, the cooperatives just for a little bit. As far as, uh, as far as a a cooperative. Why do you think a cooperative is important to the community, farming community, and also our non-farming neighbors um, as an advocate for the cooperative system? Um, give us a farmer a choice. And um, so that that's always important. Um, cooperative is local, and we can help fund some projects around here 4-H, FFA, those those type of things that stay in the communities. Um, so I think that's why. Uh, and cooperatives are also important because of the way we can do business with them. Um, and uh, I like the supply chain from local to regionals and all in a cooperative system. Yeah, just the um, people don't understand the model, and there's lots of different cooperatives. And when we say um, it's local, meaning that the earnings all stay right here. I mean, it's uh, for the most part, obviously, right? right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not like we have uh, shareholders that for mm-hmm. that are in another country, yeah. you know, that are stakeholders. So, what's one of the? <laughs> this ought to be fun. What's <laughs> one of the most important lessons that you think you've uh, learned during your career with Snicker Farms? And you can let the, the top three may hit it, but what's one of the most important ones that you think? Well, you know? I, I think it's one Luke's actually learning. Dad isn't always wrong. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm anxious to talk to Luke after I this is wait. over. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I, I remember learning that uh, Dad, Dad knew what he was talking about. So, yep. 
Usually that starts, the realization hits kind of in that mid-20s. Yeah. You get kind of the idea that your dad's really... Luke was late bloomer. Late bloomer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And we might preface that Luke is an account manager and a very important piece (laughs) of the Premier team. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Learned that. Um, That's... And that's still one of the things I think about, you know, is, and it goes back to one that story you relate about Luke was, I remember when we would go out and plant corn while dad was still planting and we'd always check the depth and, and he said, my dad would not tell me how deep to plant corn and I'm not going to tell you. So, yeah. um, and every time I dig up, I hear that voice. Is that right? Yep. Interesting. That's (laughs) fun. So other things that I've I've learned, um, stewardship is very important in our line of work, um, taking care of our, our land so that it can take care of us. Very good. You've also done, um, talking about building relationships, and and um, you d- you have developed over the years um, just relationships across the industry, across countries, and... Um, Whenever you're talking and meeting people, um, your network of folks, um, how do how do you um, how do you work to to promote agriculture? It seems like you really put a um, you do it. I guess you're you're kind of an ambassador in your own way. Whenever you you have friends and and stuff that aren't in our industry that don't don't farm. Yeah. So um, one of the things that I I do is um, I'm, um, uh, I don't know, they changed the name, Regional Council Representative for Ag Region 4 of Land O'Lakes. Mm. So um, on that committee, I am also have been assigned to be part of Land O'Lakes Policies and Resolutions Committee, which we go to D.C. at least once a year to lobby our, our elected leaders. And so there is the opportunity there to bring some ag information, concerns that we have right to D.C. to where it can do the most good. A lot of times those folks don't know. They, they don't know. And, and that's one of the trainings that we, we got on doing that is word your questions. Don't say, you may not know anything about this. So, <laughs> so you've got to word it so that you're trying to, you know, get them on board with your way of thinking. Even though you're thinking, there's a hundred percent chance you don't know exactly. this. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so yeah. So I that I do enjoy, um, and I'll be finished. I've got one more year left, and then Land O'Lakes throws you out when you're 65. So. They make you retire. They do. Yep. Well, yeah. one of the things you've always enjoyed is kind of sharing the ag story and <laughs> um, in either component, whether it's, a, whether it's at the local fair or whether it's to your neighbors or whether it's to someone from Germany that, that you have uh, built a relationship with. Yeah. You've uh, shared the ag story. Yeah. I, I think it's important that everyone understand what we're going through. And you, know, you mentioned Germany. I have finally made a good acquaintance of a young farmer in Germany, and I'll see him next week. Um, 
I don't know how old he is, probably near 30, but very, very diverse farmer, very active in ag in Germany um, with what's going on there. And their rules and regulations that they have for ag, I think will eventually, if we don't watch out, will eventually filter into the U.S. And some of that stuff, they're just going to flat drive people out of the ag, out of farming. We get little snippets of it in the news, uh, like like what type of um, concerning uh, products um, or or restrictions um, making it more difficult. Yeah, organic, thirty percent organic. Oh my! Um, so, and if you're not there, um, their their ag uh, subsidies are a lot different than ours. Um, it's based on um, Got to remember how this all. Um, you, if you have a hundred acres, and you're just going to get so much money, whether or not you plant anything on it or, or not. So, so there's right. no disaster protection. No, no. there's there's no in no, no incentive. No yeah. yeah, there's yeah. no incentive. There's no incentive. Oh my! To you do mean, well. Yeah, to do what? There's not. You're just you know, if you're going to get a hundred euro an acre, you're going to get whether you raise. Hundred bushel corn, or you're we're not talking crop insurance. We're talking that's what you're it's going direct, to that's make. It. That's direct subsidy from the government, and then you you know obviously can sell your crop. But um, I know they say they're looking at taking that away, and they said that's what we depend on. That's our that's our margin. Wow, hmm. I hope we don't get to that point. And, so, I mean, we just need to stay very aware of what's going on in D.C. on rules and regulations. So we need more Farmer Voice to do yeah. legislative we, roles, and there's not much of that. It's right. less than less than 1% of the population, right. so yeah. I don't know who runs at this point. Mm-hmm. But uh, So I guess that's another piece of, uh, of how cooperatives and, and mm-hmm. people in the ag industry can help is yeah. to carry we, that voice to the farmer. Right, exactly. Carry that <laughs> voice. That's that's a good point. All right. Well, Don, what does what does the what does your farm look like from a diversity standpoint? I mean, you livestock too. We I did um, up until I think two thousand and eight. I had uh, Pharaoh to finish. Okay. And uh, buildings were getting old. I was getting old, and I didn't want to mess with hogs anymore. Um, my wife and I wanted to do some traveling, so. We just thought we'd exit the hog market and freed up a lot of time. Sure. So sure. In five years, what do you think your operation looks like? What would you hope your operation looks like? Well, I, I hope um, that um, Luke can continue to work here, and um, that we can. I want to increase some more acres, um, and I have no intention of. You know, when I turn 65, just draw a line. I don't intend to do that at all. But um, move him more, get him more percentage-wise of the farm, 
and let him start making some more of those decisions, telling me what to do. Right. Let him uh, plant what he wants to. That's right. right in the let mud. Him let him, him put in the mud. That's right. <laughs> let him, <laughs> two he'll, knuckles deep in the mud. Let him go. <laughs> he'll, he'll learn that on the first uh, <laughs> so. I can't wait for that call. <laughs> Because I'll still be here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's my intention. And, um, you know, I will help him out as long as I'm, as long as I'm healthy and can, can keep doing it. That is so important. I've got some uh, good friends, and um, they were uh, in their mid-50s and brothers, and the day their, their dad stopped farming, uh, they had never planted the corn. Mm-hmm. They had always planted the beans, and they had never ran the corn planter. And so they that spring they had to figure it out and i think that's why it's so important to but let them fail a little bit and we jest right but it's so important to get the next generation where's a kid going to learn how to drive a tractor right right? and and that's you know like you said to fail that's one thing i read years and years ago um you know a farmer has 40 times at the plate so how would any lawyer want to have their whole career judged by their first 40 cases or any doctor by their first 40 patients. Um, You know, we got 40 times to do it right. 40 crop seasons. Yeah. To get it right. Gosh, that makes it pretty narrow. Yeah. When you think about other professions and how, how they can improve themselves, you know, you can have a patient as a doctor and say, Oh yeah, I can do this better next time with that. Same thing. And then the next time might be in 10 minutes. Right. So. Right. Never thought of it that way. Very well put. Anything else you want to give to our listeners as pearls of wisdom? Um. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this could get fun. There we go. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I was summoned to Harold's office last week when he found out I was doing this. <laughs> Did he mention compensation? No, he did not. Still Us either. <laughs> We're just checking. <laughs> he he said he said there's one thing I want you to get worked into the um, in, into this podcast, and I said okay. He said I, I want you to I want people to know how deep your family goes into this into this company, and and he reminded me then that my dad and a few other farmers in the area worked a construction crew that built fertilizer buildings in the late fifties and early sixties for the co-ops in this in the state. So, wow. Oh, wow. Um, and most of them stood until, you know, we just moved out or. Yeah. We took the one in Monroe County down, which I'm sure that was probably with the, mm-hmm. well within their jurisdiction of yeah. construction. We just took it down. A couple three years ago, that was built in the sixties for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. So. so yeah, my dad probably would have had a, a part in building that. Wow. That's yeah. neat history. Yeah. And my grandpa was the first C my great grandpa was the first CEO of Jackson County. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. I did not know that either. And so yeah, we our family's been here since day one. Wow. Very nice. That's, that's neat a, history. That's a, yeah, that's a good. That was that was good. So, what else you got? Uh, that's all I've got today, Ryan. Well, certainly we appreciate and value all of our members, all of our customers, and uh, this is just a way for us to better advocate for ag and let you guys get your voice out to hopefully a broader audience and uh, and speak to the truths that you know are important 
um, the narrative's not always there yep. for the farmers, not not in your corner. So certainly we want to make sure mm-hmm. that the truth is, is out there, and it's a good way to do it, to bring you on here and let you talk about it. I thank so, you for the opportunity. Absolutely. Many years of success and more years of success, and let's not let Luke mess it up for you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, no, he's really good. We've hacked on him a little bit. He's really, really, really good. So, so that's all I've got. That's all I've got. Thanks, Donald. Oh, you're welcome. All right. That's another episode of The High Ground, powered by Premier Companies. Please like and subscribe. Oh.